Welcome, everyone, to Mystery, a podcast about myths and history. I am one of your hosts, Bryant, with my permanent guest, Cammy. What up, Cammy? Welcome back. Happy Halloween. Hi. Happy Halloween, Bryant. That's right. This is the last episode of the month of October, continuing on with our theme of talking about, uh, I think it's turned into basically late 19th, early 20th century authors and their influential pieces that are spooky and or mysterious. (laughs) Rolls yes. off the tongue, right? So, yeah, but it's been really fun. So we covered Mary Shelley and Frankenstein, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes. And what was the other one? Oh, yeah, Agatha Christie and Poirot, which was a lot of fun. That was last week's. So today is the final one. We're talking about The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, which was written by Washington Irving. And yeah, he was uh, born in 1783, so I think he's... He's definitely the youngest or the la- or oldest. He's the latest one that we did. Um, everyone else was more Victorian and early 20th century. But this is still really great. Cammy, uh, you have a story for us, right? I do. Awesome. So, Cammy, please regale us and then we'll have a little discussion afterwards. Absolutely. So, I used Project Gutenberg to get the text for The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving. In the state of New York, just east of the Hudson, there sits a town so content in its own existence that the inhabitants seem in a state of torpor. The fog seems to always roll in from the misty river, but never leave, and its constant presence casts a dreary aura over the evenings. Many spirits make this place their home, but none so fearsome as the Hessian rider who searches the night for his missing head. Being a farming town, teachers were brought in from other places to instruct the children in all areas of education. One such man, Ichabod Crane, traveled there from his home of Connecticut and quickly became endeared to the townsfolk. He was a lanky man with a crooked nose, huge hands and feet, and arms so long they reached well past his coat sleeves. Ichabod's interests went well beyond the natural sciences, reading and arithmetic. He had a healthy interest in all things occult and spent many evenings with the older Dutch wives, and they spun wool and ghost stories so frightening that Ichabod could barely reach his home by horse without nearly falling off at every passing shadow. His mind weaved the tales he had heard over the roasting apples into various creatures before him in his path. But by daybreak, Crane was was cured of his fears and thirsted for more tales of the wild goblins and menacing ghosts that rested in the sleepy minds of the crones. Only one thought could pry him from the tendrils of the haunting stories. A woman, not just any woman, but the most beautiful woman in town, as rich as she was pretty. She caught the eye of many suitors, but Crane was intent on making Miss Katrina Van Tassel his wife. Our hero wasn't the only man with his eyes on Katrina. Brom Bones, a handsome and fit man with a wily sense of humor, was also in search of her hand. He wanted nothing more than to beat Ichabod in a fight, but Crane was too smart to be caught in such a one-sided affair, so Brahm simmered in his jealous rivalry while they both sought Katrina's hand. After a particularly somber day in the town, Ichabod received an invitation to a ball that night at Van Chassel's estate. As soon as the twelve bells at noon tolled, Crane let his class out early so that he could get ready for the party. He washed his steed gunpowder and saddled him, then freshened himself up with a hot bath. He wore his finest shirt and dress coat and set off for the party. Upon arrival, he immediately found Katrina and asked her to be his dance partner for the evening. 
Brahm, showing up late as always, brooded in the corner over, over fancy cakes and meat pies and apple cider, and while Crane danced and made merry with the young Katrina, he couldn't help overhearing all sorts of tales of phantoms and spirits from the party guests. But he did not let those tales shake him, for he was going to ask for a hand in marriage that night. After the party ended, Ichabod lingered and asked to speak privately to his intended. They took to a parlor alone, but not moments later Crane was seen leaving, sullen and crestfallen. And now his mind, grasping for anything that wasn't her, started to turn the ghost stories from the night into spectacular apparitions all around him. He urged Gunpowder to go faster, but the horse seemed cautious of the fog of night. Passing the well-known and very haunted Wiley Swamp, Ichabod swore he saw a figure, dark and large, upon a steed in the shadows. He urged his own horse again to move, but Gunpowder merely sidestepped and trotted forward into the path of the daunting shadow ahead. As they approached, Crane could make out the specter as a man sitting firmly on his steed, his sword drawn, and Crane moved further up the figure to his neck. He jerked his horse's reins to the side and dug his knees into the ribs of the horse, for no matter, no manner of flight could be fast enough to run away from this form. It was Headless, the Hessian soldier. Gunpowder rode well through the bramble, speeding away from the fate they might share should the beast catch up to them. But just as they were making distance between themselves and their pursuer, the saddle snapped and Ichabod found himself dangling from his horse's neck, the shadows close behind. As they reached the bridge of, out of town, which was said the headless rider could not cross, Crane looked back to see if the superstitions were true and the Hessian would burn into flames should he ever cross the bridge. Crane caught a glimpse of the headless horseman raising his hand above him and hurling his own head at Crane. It was a solid hit to the temple, which knocked Crane off his horse completely. The morning came, and gunpowder was seen grazing in front of Crane's abode, but the schoolmaster was not found. Weeks passed, and the town had come the entire outskirts to no avail. Some say he packed his things and left when Katrina refused his proposal. Some say his teaching job was coming to an end, and he headed back to Connecticut. But the old Dutch wives have a different tale that Crane had been done in by spirits, and some nights you can see a faint flicker in the old schoolhouse and the sounds of Crane pining after dear Katrina. Yeah, that's great. So, Sleepy Hollow, everyone knows that for the most part, right? <laughs> I'm surprised though, you know, I didn't, I couldn't recall in an instant the author. I didn't know who the author was. And Washington Irving is his name, he, like I said, he was born in 1783, died in 1859, so lived a long, full life just after the Revolutionary War, and he was really involved, and, and, he, and he was also a, a, a big writer, and he's certainly remembered in a, a lot of places through a lot of street names and things like that, but it is, it's, it's more so the work has been remembered than anything, and Sleepy Hollow is extremely popular. There are tons of, of cities and streets and things like that that are named after it. And it's really cool. Um, Irving was a, a, a lover of, of history, and especially coming in. He was, he was named after George Washington. He ended up writing a biography of George Washington. And, and he was. He was a scholar as well. He was a his, historian. And he liked to take—he uh, he really helped 
um, contribute to what we now call like romantic history, where it's like, I'm going to tell you about George Washington, but I'm going to fluff it up. Like, I'm really going to make right. it like <laughs> fantastical and cherry tree and all that. It's like, well, you're not like that could have happened. Is that important? But it sounds great. So that's that's really where he contributed to. And this story um, written in 1820 uh, was was really famous one thing I, I kind of put in my notes is after listening to um, several lectures on Victoria London and American identity done by uh, Patrick Allen on the Great Courses, he talked about how in in this time, in the 19th century and, and uh, late ancient century, as America was forming its identity, um, England was still, or there, sorry, Europe was still like the arts. You know, America, maybe, yeah, okay, industry and lots of lumber and all that jazz, but Europe was like home of the arts, you know, and, and even through into the 20th century, it imported all the all the Europeans that came over are the only ones that had talent for Americans. But this guy, Irving, was really credited for being one of the most popular authors that came that that got popular in Europe. And so that that's something that's really big. Um, he he'd been writing for quite some time. He used to write uh, in a, like in a way Wikipedia says that it was similar to how Mad Magazine works. Um, he worked, wrote for a newspaper and he kind of, he lived in New York, he was born there. And so he kind of wrote like a farcical and, and sarcastic about New York. He even gave it the nickname Gotham. This is where Gotham comes from. Weird. Go Gotham is an old Anglo-Saxon word meaning goat's town. <laughs> Which totally makes sense. You know, like ham is, you know, like Nottingham. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so... <laughs> Goats he, yeah, I know. Yeah. So Batman's protecting all the goats, right? But he he spent a long time in Europe. Um, he had a very busy late life. He was ambassador to Spain in 1840. But um, he when he went to Europe, I, I believe he was in England or France when some uh, diplomat of some kind was like, come to Spain with me and do Spanish things. And so he did, and he went to Spain, and he became really interested in Spain's recent history. He wrote um, a, a, like a, a biography or history of Christopher Columbus, which he he he. Um, what it was was a bunch of historical documents were just kind of made public, and he had one of the first opportunities to look at these. And it was uh, like one one big thing from this was that he, through Christopher Columbus's notes, uh, Christopher Columbus uh, would say how he believed the world to be round basically when hit when when Irving's contemporaries thought the people of Columbus's time thought the earth was flat so this this was a time to sort of uh understand the mindset of the 15th century and things like that and he and he also wrote uh, a deep history on on Spain and its Moorish um Muslim rule he actually ended up writing a biography of the 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 Islamic prophet Muhammad even too so, oh, wow. yes, yes. Yeah, this guy was super into it. What's funny, though, is a lot of his critics uh, of the time or a lot of a lot of the critics of the time, including Edgar Allan Poe, were quite critical of him. Um, uh, a critic in the New York Mirror wrote, this is from Wikipedia, no man in the Republic of Letters has been more overrated than Mr. Washington Irving. And I it's not like jealousy to me, you know. I think so. I think it was like right place, right time and pioneering a lot of things. Like he didn't necessarily, right. he, he was just kind of like one of the first to do a lot of these things. Like 
maybe not the best, but he just, and even, you know, going to Sleepy Hollow, Sleepy Hollow seems to be a combination of a lot of stories. So we have some elements of things like the Scandinavian Wild Hunt. We have just some German um, and, and Anglo, English, Anglo-Saxon folklore of specters in the night, that kind of thing. But it has sort of a modernness to it as well. There's connections to the, the Revolutionary War as well with the Dutch settlements of America, you know, famously being around New York, um, battles, rumors of specters and things like that. So I, I think that this is just a really great way. It doesn't seem to kind of directly copy anything like you might expect from certain things at the time where there's less, you know, um, copyright infringement coverage and things like that. But he, he seems to really just kind of take some really good ideas but create an original story. I mean, you can't really copyright specters, you know. Right. And it's and it's really interesting. And the yeah, the German the Hessian soldier, that was so interesting. The Hessians were like uh, the House of Hesse was just a famous German, you know, house. The Germans were lots of scattered territories um for, for so long, uh, including this time period. Very warlike. That was the, the way Germany was for, for quite some time into the twentieth century even. So um it was just it was just really cool. And uh spooky and, and we just talked about Mary Shelley. Yeah, that was uh a few years later, um, but they, you know, rich people like to just sit around and say ghost stories, German ghost stories. So <laughs> it totally makes sense. And it, it uh, sleep, yeah, Sleepy Hollow being the name of the valley and, and it, it brings it to New York. You know, again, it, it's it's well written. It's something you'd expect that would be like a European story, but it's also very American in a lot of ways. But it was respected by the Europeans, which I just think is really important to, to think about as well. And and yeah. I, yeah, because I, that was you said it was written right after. Or no, he was born right after the revolution. Is that what he you said? was born in 1783? So he, yeah, he was in the boom of it all. I mean, he was totally right in the middle of it all. And he was, um, yeah, I mean, it, during the War of 1812, you know, he was uh, a, a young adult and wrote this soon after that. So, um, and it, so this, yeah, this it would be important for other yeah. countries to kind of respect. Yeah, he was in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. This America was was always like I said, even into the twentieth century, like especially in music from from Alet's uh great courses lecture, mu- the, the the great musicians that were in America producing music were European. They were not there was there wasn't Americans, you know, that that came later. There was no Lady Gaga in the nineteen twenties. <laughs> Unfortunately but, for them. I know, I know. <laughs> Could you imagine? But yeah, it's great. And of course uh, not that it, I mean, it, it was super popular as it were, but of course, uh, Disney did a famous version, uh, animated version of it. Um, it was like a, a part of a collection. It was the adventures of Ichabod Crane and Mr. Toad or something like that. And funny enough, that was oh, actually, that was so good. Yeah. And do you know I who narrated it. it? No. Bing Crosby narrated it. I thought that, that was really sense. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a total hit of its time further, like pushing it, um, and it was like several stories at once. And that's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was in a collection of essays called The Sketchbook of Jeffrey um, Crayon um, written while he was in England. So so he he was in England being influenced, wrote a collection of essays, and this was sort of one of them and and, and was, was published yeah, as a collection. Yeah, it is very English. The way, the way the story is written is very yeah. English. Yeah, and it's great. I mean, and that's, you know, it's tough. Uh, 1783, you know, um, we have a – like a colonial identity but so much of his influence by britain but there's a unique american thing which is the british influence the 
colonial influence, but more, you know. So it, it, I I just think it's really interesting. I think Irving is really interesting because, he again, he may not have written the deepest, most earth-shattering, you know, this he's not Shakespeare by any means, but he just did a good job of sort of, in his time, modernizing a lot of things. Um, he was a big supporter of um, writing being its own profession and copyright protection. Copyright, you know, there was nothing. You could easily reprint crap. It was it was really bad at the time. You know, this was like when they had the least protection for, for those sorts of things. Um, and so having him push that push it to be a profession too like you know let you let that make your living uh was a big thing but yeah yeah he he spent time in europe he uh one one really big thing he did too uh in in a uh, an 1812 revision to a history of new york he uh inserted he he kind of came up with this dream sequence of saint nick flying in a a wagon and being like, like he kind of invented Santa Claus in a way, the way we kind of know him to be now, where he flies around magically and gives presents. He he was just very imaginative, and I, I like again think of that romantic history part. It's like, well, Saint Nicholas is real, and we celebrate it in a lot of ways, and I, I might give you gifts on Christmas, but he's flying now, you know, like that's what he <laughs> he's he's just like, we got to make it bigger, you know, like that's how that that was like the computer graphics overload. Uh, that we have today in like Michael Bay films, this this is him. This is how he was able to do it. He was like, yeah, what if Saint Nick was flying? You know, that's that's the way he did it. Or what if the horse threw pumpkin heads at people? So I I just I I I think that the critics I love I love reading that he was critiqued like that and that people thought he was overrated. He very well could have been, especially if you're someone like Poe and you're like a fine arts. You know, like no, we must read we must write work that people cannot understand except. You know the well-educated and things like that. He he definitely was like, nope, Ichabod Crane. It's going to be down to earth. It'll be appreciated. It won't be like you know a, a penny dreadful kind of thing. It'll it'll be something of substance, but it'll be approachable and public and and taken in by by everyone. So I, I I was I was really happy to learn more about Irving and the sort of the background of Sleepy Hollow. And I Cammy, I think you did a great job of summing it up and. A, a wonderful way i you know there's tons of different cartoon representations and the disney film is is great it is it's definitely in the public domain so you yeah, can actually read johnny it johnny depp movie too that's right that's right yeah yeah after and you're apparently, done there was another movie really oh yes. i'm sure i i'm with yeah. um ian malcolm ian malcolm oh, okay what's his I- name ian mckellen no Ga- from jurassic park Oh, I, I, I think what? I know who you're talking about. Jeff Goldblum. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 Mr. Crane, um, you, you, I'm gonna, I'm throwing this pumpkin at you. Uh, <laughs> start running. No, sorry, that's my Goldblum. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, once you're done watching Kenneth Branagh's uh, Frankenstein, starring Which Robert I De Niro, found on VHS, starring Robert De Niro <laughs> as the monster, you can flip over to either Johnny Depp or Mr. Goldblum playing doing sleepy hollow so uh everyone thanks for joining us october's always fun cammy your story was great as always thank you for coming back on your own show uh everyone let us know what you think we've got some really fun stuff planned for uh the rest of the year let us know if you have any suggestions though we've actually got a fan suggestion coming up uh on our next episode 
make sure you're checking out the link tree in the description that has all of our social media stuff. You can keep in the group on Facebook. Email us directly at mystery at gmail.com. Mystery spelled like how I'm pointing on the video with an IE at the end. Not to be confused with mystoire, which is what I always end up typing, our French bureau. I think that's all I've got, though, Cami. Anything you'd like to add? I was trying to overlay something, but it didn't work. Didn't, no, that's okay. All right, everyone. Well, uh, again, happy Halloween. Take care of yourselves. We will see you next time. Oh! I don't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right.